Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You ready for the tribute videos? I am. It's tribute video season, baby. Yep, I can't wait for the Luke Wachowski one. Wait, did you guys see the Nick Letty video that the St. Louis Blues put out? No. They're like, this is what you get with Nick Letty, and there was no Red Wing highlights. (laughs) It was all when he played on the Islanders. That's a tribute video. <laughs> it's a shame because now St. Louis fans aren't aren't going to know about the like beautiful thick beard that they're getting to that team. Yeah, but like, some other guy showed up. It's like evil Nick Letty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. That's going to be hard. Like I, I I like the trade, but that's going to be hard for the Red Wings to replace. Couldn't Is get it? the beard. Oh yeah, we also lost. Uh, well, Losing Witkowski also hurts the beard per 60. Yeah, it does. I mean, Witkowski, what did he play? Like half a game this year, got hurt, and then got traded to St. Louis? Yeah. He'll be back again. They'll sign him the next time he's a free agent. It's the circle of life. Yeah, don't worry, Grand Rapids fans. He'll, <laughs> he'll most likely be back. <laughs> oh, all right. Trade deadline. Um, I don't want to say definitely no, like, shocker deal this year because apparently there are still – it's five past 5.40 p.m. Eastern right now at the time of recording this. And uh, there are still teams on hold with NHL Central Registry trying to get their trades that they submitted pre-3 p.m. trade deadline confirmed. So, Evan, don't – you know, I give you a hard time for being on time. But always remember that you're better than the NHL Central Registry. The poor hamster that's running that wheel to keep the lights on there. They should have done some bank days in advance. Holy crap. Yeah. Did they not think to set up like a a second phone line and a second laptop just in case something like this happens? Are you paying for that? (laughs) They only made $5.2 billion. Like, how could they possibly afford that? The... uh the new what's it called the new jersey ads that are coming in next season are going in to pay for arizona's yeah you want extra fast, structure you want faster trade reported this is what it's going to cost you yeah. more jersey ads they're upgrading from fax to dial up oh my god do you remember when you had to wait for you know your sibling or your parent to get off the phone to use the internet i'm trying not to but yes <laughs> that was a time well we're here to recap trade deadline uh, for the Red Wings and across the league. It was an interesting day. Maybe not as many fireworks, but we're here to cover it all. Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, thank you. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm excited to talk to you about Red Wings hockey in the world of the NHL. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Thank you guys for helping me out there. Yeah, that, we don't know why you added all that extra after it. Uh, I don't know, man. Sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. No, you don't. Do- no, you never do that. Okay. Well, you're outing me in front of the new people. You're embarrassing you, me. You continue friends. because you talk more than me by a large volume. So you continue. Like after you did that, I felt like I should make the and I'm Evan joke, but it just wasn't the right episode for it. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, every trade that the Red Wings uh, both made and didn't make. Uh, we're going to be breaking it down in terms of value of return, uh, our expectations, trade grades, all that fun stuff. Uh, And we'll also be covering what happened uh, across the world of the NHL, as well as taking some of your questions. And we'll see how far that takes us. The trade recap episodes are always a lot of fun. Before we do that, we 
do want to first tell you uh, about an event that is taking place in just over a couple of weeks. Uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is on Saturday, April 9th. Uh, that is a game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And yes, you heard that right. That is the Winged Wheel Podcast partnering with the Detroit Red Wings to host an event at Little Caesars Arena uh, before, during, and after that game. Uh, so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be hosting a live uh, meet and greet and live episode recording in the beer garden at Little, Little Caesars Arena. There's going to be uh, merch, knickknacks, things to give away, prizes to win. Uh, Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond will be at the live recording of the episode. There's going to be a meet and greet with the uh, host of the show, but more importantly with the special guests. Evan. Evan, yes. Evan will be there signing as many autographs as you please. Um, and if he charges you for it, that's a scam. You actually don't have to pay. Um <laughs> Gonna that's be- not going to be his game. I'm going to be <laughs> bound, the bouncer charging no, no, no. for Evan's autograph. I don't need to you two teaming up to hustle. That's too much to handle. <laughs> uh, there is going to be food, some food and snacks out for you, and the bar will be open as well if, as well as if you want to buy drinks. Uh, the tickets will get you access not only to the event but also to the game, and they have a special Winged Wheel Podcast discount. Uh, during the game, you're going to be seated in winged wheel podcast sections. So we filled up the gondola. We have more seating available in lower bowl sections, as well as the upper bowl, depending on, uh, your price point and where you want to sit. And then after the game, we're going to bring the party to Harry's bar and grill, uh, in Detroit or sorry, Harry's Detroit bar and grill, where, uh, we have the entire upstairs of the, of the, uh, bar booked and they're going to stay open as long as we're in there having fun. So more things to give away, more food, more drinks, and most importantly, a portion of the proceeds from every ticket benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, who we're extremely, extremely proud to partner with. So if you haven't already, get your tickets. The link is in the description of this episode uh, or go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog to find out more. Okay, well, why don't we open with the blockbuster, the true earth shattering, mind breaking. I can't believe this happened. It's like the Mantha trade on steroids deal troy stetcher to the la kings for a seventh round pick that is the furthest in advance i've ever known a joke was coming yeah that's all right i want you to know that this is what it's like podcasting with you oh i know what i've been doing this episode is big brad energy no you don't seem tired enough to pull it off brad you never seem tired you always say you're tired but you were always wired you are both sides of that meme the tired wired meme. They're both just Brad. I'll accept that. Okay. Troy Stetcher to the LA Kings for a seventh round pick. Um, Stetcher was one of those players that we highlighted on the preview episode as, you know, not one of Detroit's biggest draft pieces, but someone who you can count on going. We had that information from the Vancouver side of things that Stetcher heard from Eisman that he was likely to be dealt. So the return was quite literally minimal. Uh, and he did go back out west, so it's probably a little bit more preferable to him. What are your thoughts, takeaways on the trade initially? You're underwhelmed originally because when Red Wings fans think of Troy Stetcher, we still tend to focus on the first half of last season where he was truly fantastic. But since then, he, in the brief windows he's played, he hasn't played to that level. And he's dealt with a lot of injury issues in that time. So understanding that the rest of the league looked at Troy Stetcher as a potential upside, but injury risk, uncertain asset. Mm -hmm. So it was more Eisenman doing Stetcher a solid than it was anything else. It was, hey, man, 
go get some playoff games. LA could use some depth. They're a team on the rise. Make something happen. Good luck to you. Because from the Red Wings standpoint, he wasn't going to displace um, Sider Hironic on the right side. And Lindstrom's a lot younger. So it's better to get him the reps now. So it was, it was uh, to clear out the roster spot and to do a favor to Stetcher because there was probably not a ton of interest uh, around the league. So I saw a little bit of, I think, fair disappointment. And it was disappointment for a few reasons. First, you know, like has been said, Stetcher looked good at the start with the Red Wings. But if you add up his games played and his games missed, he was, he's was he been injured for almost exactly 50% of his time with the Red Wings. And you might say, well, those are injuries. We haven't seen him regain, regain form. There are players in front of him in the pecking order. I mean, Lindstrom really making it this year was probably the final nail in the coffin to shove him out of the way. Um, on on basis of true talent, yeah, I agree. I would have loved to have seen more than a, uh, a seventh from Stetcher. If we saw the Stetcher that we saw over the like at the start of his tenure with Detroit, we'd be talking rounds higher, like m- many rounds higher. If we got the first half of last season Troy Stetcher the entire time, a second round pick would have been the minimum. Because he was fantastic, and as we saw, and as we'll get to, the defensive market today and this week was nuts. It was batty, yeah. It, it was, was stupid overpriced. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, it, teams don't know what – the Kings don't know what they're getting in Troy Stetcher because we haven't seen true Troy Stetcher in over a year. Yeah. And and that's just the harsh reality of the situation. Now, for Troy's sake, I hope he goes to LA and kills it. Um because I hope they utilize him properly because that was an issue in Detroit. Um, I don't think Blashell got the most out of him because, again, we're talking about one half of one season, but that first half of the season when he got to Detroit, the way he played there in that window, right now, if he was playing that way, he'd comfortably be the second best defenseman on this team. Yeah. Comfortably. There wouldn't be anybody else in the conversation. It would be Cider, a gap, Stetcher, a gap, everybody else. But we haven't seen that. Troy Stetcher in over a year. And again, you can chalk that up to injuries. You can chalk that up to poor usage. You can chalk that up to whatever you want. It doesn't matter. The The rest of the league doesn't care why. They just know that this is the reality. And it's important to remember, like, not regaining the form is part of it, right? Like, he yeah. could still be a little bit hurt. Was he underutilized? I think so. Absolutely. Was he given absolute anchors for defensive partners? Yeah, 100%. Did he play poorly upon return from injury more than once? Yes. Also, yes. He was also on an expiring UFA deal. Um, wasn't really a threat to like come back and re-sign with Detroit. So it's not like Eisenman could have used that as leverage to say, all right, don't trade for him. But he's we're extending him. You know, these guys aren't stupid. They have pro scouts. The GMs are, are smart. They have good teams around them. They could say, okay, Eisenman, who's he displacing on the right side? That's just not how it went. So like you said, it's a favor to Troy, sends it back out west. The Red Wings get anything in return for an asset that was likely to walk. You don't have to be thrilled with the with the trade, but it's also just the reality of it that sometimes you have to get something when you know it's about to turn into nothing really quickly. I wish it went differently with Troy Stetcher. And it's it's really kind of painful because we saw how it could have gone in the early days, but it's just not been that way for a long, long time. Yeah, there's really nothing else to add. Yeah, that's uh, he was a fan favorite, though. It is easy to root for Troy, and best of luck to him and Phoebe on their upcoming 
road trip. He's got to drive across the continent every time he gets he moves, eh? I did not know that. Well, is he afraid of flying? No, he has a dog, and he drives with her. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, yeah. So they have you seen gas prices? <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, LA gives him a little bit of a relocation fee. <laughs> they better sign him to a one year extension, even if he never plays, just to be able to get there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, best of luck to him, and and I hope it works out for him out west. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in Vancouver again, honestly, after the off season, depending on how things go in LA. I, I honestly thought he was going to end up in Vancouver. That's what I thought too. Like today, but oh well. Well, if I'm Vancouver, I'm like, well, what am I trading for him now? For him for now, I, we don't necessarily need him now. That's fair. We'll get him in the off season. That's fair. Okay, so this was uh this was the big one, and. I mean, the big one in terms of the Red Wings, actually, the trades that they made today. But they did deal Nick Letty. So Nick Letty did move. There was a little bit of a back and forth as to whether Nick Letty would actually be traded. Um, There was a rumor out there about a potential extension, um, a three-year extension. And that harks back a little bit to what I've chatted about the last couple episodes, which is there's been a buzz about, you know, the Red Wings need people on the left side. And if they don't get a decent offer in return for Nick Letty, like let's say it was a fourth or a fifth, they're not going to move him for that. They want to re-sign him because they need any guys who can even remotely play hockey, which there are very few of. Uh, Anyhow, Nick Letty ended up being traded to the St. Louis Blues. So 50% of his salary retained. So that's uh, $2.75 million of his $5.5 million salary for the rest of the year. And Luke Kwiatkowski in exchange for a 2023 second round pick. Uh, as well as Jake Wallman and Oscar Sunkvist. So, in essence, Eisman acquired Nick Letty for a second, pretty much, and then got that second back in addition to Sunkvist and Wallman. This, to me, was the good return. This, to me, cemented the day as, if nothing else happens, I'm perfectly fine with how this day went. The Red Wings got a decent asset back for someone who I think was expendable because Nick Letty you know, bless him, was not a second-round pick-worthy player this year, in my mind. We spent a ton of time, too much time, last episode talking about how reputation matters in trades. And a lot of that's what happened here. Um, Now, there's the obvious, I don't even know what to call it, but the obvious caveat that there's a good chance Nick Letty's going to be a lot better in St. Louis than he was in Detroit because he's going to get a lot more help in St. Louis than he got in Detroit. Yes. So, and that's fine. Like, Red Wings fans should not be upset when that happens. That's just the reality of cheering for a team in a rebuild with uh, a lot of holes in the lineup. Um, but if you look at this season in a bubble and what Nick Letty has done this season, he absolutely is not worth a second-round pick. So, Steve, that was a... Very tidy piece of business from Steve Eisenman. Uh, I wasn't sure fully if he was going to get moved for the reasons Ryan alluded to a couple minutes ago. But once I saw how that defensive market was shaping up um, this week and especially today, if I was if I would have been in that office, I would have been smashing the table telling Steve Eisenman to trade him. And I'm, I'm glad he did because obviously that was a hell of a return because it's a really good trade on a few fronts. And obviously the second round pick is the most important because a recoups the second round pick that they gave up for him. So basically they rented him 
for half of a season with a little bit of interest and got their deposit back. Um, they got Oscar Sundquist in return, who is an, uh, he's probably just a fourth line player, but he's an upgrade on every fourth line player the Red Wings have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got Jake Wallman, who's a 26 year old defenseman, but he's a left shot defenseman, which is relevant. He was playing in a very limited, very sheltered role in St. Louis, but at least by the analytics was performing very well in that role. So he's, he's much like Yolevi. It's, it's worth the gamble just to see. Because you need guys there that are going to play there. And he is under team control still uh, for next season. I think Sunfist is as well. So the Red Wings got three usable pieces back. Not only is the second round pick recouping the one they gave up, but it's for the 2023 draft, which is irrelevant in terms of talent because we have no idea how the second round of the 2023 draft is going to play out. But St. Louis is an older team. They are a team, I'm not saying that it's likely to happen, but they are a team that if you had to circle teams in the NHL who are who could fall a little next year and fall down the standings, St. Louis would be one of those teams. So there's a half decent chance that second round pick is the middle of the second round and not mm-hmm. pick like 60 if they had traded them to hypothetically Florida. <laughs> who are going to be good forever. Yeah, so... That that's also an upside and, and could be a win too. So yeah, everything in that trade was just a, a really really masterful by Eiserman, just capitalizing on the hey, we don't want this team to fall off a cliff now. So I'm going to get two usable bodies who at least have a chance to to play for this team for a while because I think Sunquist is 27 and Walman's 26. So not that they're going to be key cogs in when the Red Wings are contenders, but they could be useful for a while. Yeah. And obviously the second round pick being the most important part because we sat here all last episode going if they get – now this is before we saw how the defensive market really shaped up. But we were sitting here saying, hey, if they got a third round for how Letty's played this year, that would be great. So a second rounder plus two usable pieces, phenomenal. Yeah, by Friday or Saturday based on the trades that we saw, I was like, okay, he's not worth it, but I want a second for Letty. Yeah. Uh, like Troy Stetcher is one thing. He doesn't quite have the name value. He doesn't have the experience, whatever. Letty has a reputation where that is a prime candidate to oversell. And that's what Eisman did. You know, being disappointed in the Letty trade initially, like when Detroit acquired him, because his second was too much, yeah. probably based on the return that we got from or the the kind of play that the Red Wings saw from Nick Letty. But also understanding, too, that it was a bit of a cap dump from the Islanders. And yeah. I know it's overstated, but the Red Wings did need someone halfway competent to play on the left side. And disappointing though Letty's play has been this year, again, you boil down his game, he does do things um, from the left side of the defense that legitimately other Red Wings defensemen could not do. Like we're talking Danny DeKaiser was playing top line minutes and was replaced by Jordan Osterley, and that was a noted objectively correct improvement so letty did serve a purpose the red wings essentially rented him for free for the season like you said brad like first of all when i saw sunkfist i said okay nemesnikov is moving you know yeah they just there's your replacement you just need something in there and wallman like you said it's intriguing the sample's pretty small yeah uh the red wings defensive core is not a forgiving environment for a player to come into and blossom and that's going to be especially true now but hey it's you know, better than having a warm body that doesn't have intriguing numbers. It's at least at the lowest, the lowest possible return here is that is a guy to play for the rest of the season. 
Um, Wallman is an RFA at the end of the year, so there's some control that there. And Sunkfist uh, has another year left at 2.75, which, I mean, isn't a steal, but it is what it is. Cap space is not a concern for the Red Wings yet, yeah. including next season. The biggest thing for me was that they got that second pick round back in return. And, and adding that, I think, was huge. So the Red Wings have two second round picks over the next two seasons, uh, which to me is is massive. They have Washington's this year and St. Louis's next year. So all in all, that that's, I mean, hot take is my favorite trade of the day. But one that I'm really happy that happened because, you know, we were talking about the reasons why the Red Wings might keep Nick Letty. And if we think back to, I think, last episode of the episode before, I agreed with you, Brad. Rather than keep Nick Letty for the reasons that were rumored, I'd rather just go out and grab an Ian Cole or someone else to serve that purpose and sell Nick Letty. And that's what they were able to do. Well, it also creates a very interesting dynamic for the rest of the year because obviously we've talked at length this year about what the hell is the Red Wings left side of the defense going to look like next year because everybody who was playing at the time was an unrestricted free agent. Now they have Yolevi, who's under team control for next year. Wallman, who's under team control for next year. Osterley, who's under team control for next year. Possibly Edvinson coming in, uh, who's obviously under team control for next year. And then Danny DeKaiser and Mark Stahl, her UFAs. So the rest of this season, they have, what's that, five or six guys auditioning for those three or four spots next year. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter which of them pans out. They just need one or two of them to work. Cause let's assume Edmondson takes one of those spots because the way he's played in the SHL this year, assuming he has a good camp, he probably should be on the Red Wings next year. So really you only need two of those other four guys to even perform halfway. Well, if Wallman plays fine, Yolevi goes off a cliff and Mark Stahl continues what he is and you re-sign him okay that's an improvement on what they had this year that means evan doesn't have to sign yeah geez it's getting close <laughs> yeah or if <laughs> uncomfortably <I saw> you- <laughs> so yeah i saw you on the treadmill the other day oh yeah so right now it's what the red wings have done is created competition for an area that they're definitely going to need guys for so guys even though this is going into the end of the season the part of the season where players don't usually have a lot to play for these guys all have something to play for now because hypothetically, if Yulevi and Wallman are great, Mark Stahl and Danny DeKaiser are going to see that. And then they they might play themselves right out of a job next year if it, if Sorry, these guys play. Did you play. just say Danny DeKaiser? Yeah, okay. He's out, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Danny's playing for a job next year. He's going to be motivated if he gets into any games. He's not. I'm, obviously, I know he's not going to do anything with it. His body won't let him at this point, but yeah, that's just going to be the dynamic for everybody in that position. Um, for the record, we are going to be interspersing Steve Eiserman's comments from the press conference throughout this episode. So he asked about the moves that were made today. Eiserman uh, acknowledged that there weren't that many moves. Uh, they moved the pending UFAs, which is what he expected. Um, and whether he was pleased, uh, he feels that they got Letty for a second and he was very helpful for the year. They actually did discuss an extension and couldn't come to terms on that. So they recouped on the pick. So it looks like they did try and yeah. they probably... They just wanted a much lower number because Letty Letty cannot have come back and made five and a half million dollars again. 
Like, no, absolutely and, not. And there's a rumor floating around on Twitter that Letty wanted five years. The Red Wings were willing to go three. Oh, five more years and Nick Letty, no thank you. Yeah, even three seemed like too much. Would you do? Me. Would you have done five years at $3 million? No, no $2 chance. million. Dollars. No. Yeah, see, like they're not interested in that term at all. No, not even a little bit. Like when Letty's 31 and he's a defenseman who can skate, he's got a few more good years in him. Probably not in Detroit, given what will be around him. But yeah, no, you you don't give guys that age north of two, three years ever for any reason. <laughs> Evan, your thoughts on the Nick Letty trade, what this means for the future of the Red Wings defense and the return. Yeah, I thought it was good because like you guys said, they paid a second and give up gave up panic as well, but irrelevant. Yeah. Um doesn't even play anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So and then they got a second back. So right there. All, you're all good. Yeah. If it was just that, I would have been fine. Did you actually notice how they reported it? They only showed the two player picks first. And then later it was announced that there was also a second. Yeah. So I was a little nervous at the start. I know. I saw that and I was like, hmm. That, that was the first time I was the voice of reason on Twitter. First time in my life. <laughs> oh, God. Because I saw that and I, I, I immediately knew. Just I'm like, that's not it. There's no way. So I sent out the tweet, hey, this is probably just to recoup some contracts. There's Hamster de- had to take a water break. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely something else coming back because I saw the same tweets you were and everybody was freaking the hell out. And I'm like, guys, chill. guys, calm down. Yeah. It, reports have been leaking slowly today. I'm sure we're not done. <laughs> um, Eisman also said that they weren't caught off guard by the way the market worked. Uh, some of the players that they had that they, you know, would have been on the market were injured, which is something that teams making a push aren't really interested in. Yeah. Who is injured on the Red Wings that anybody would have cared about? <laughs> oh, we really wanted Danny DeKaiser, but oh, man. I don't know. I don't know who he's talking about there. Yeah, I am. Well, there's two people. Who confused. took the maintenance days today? Larkin, Larkin and, and Stall. Stall might be something there. Yeah, I can see that. Anyhow, um, all in all, it looks like a very like. <laughs> well, first of all, it's an Iceman presser, so yeah. he's hardly doing <laughs> jumping jacks. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it seems to be pretty. We did what we could. We're happy with the return we got on Letty, and uh, we did what we could with the rest. So, let's get into the last trade here. And it was a pretty simple one, and it was held until the 11th hour. It broke just around 3 p.m., and it wasn't actually confirmed until, like, 10 minutes ago. And that was Vlad Nemesnikov to the Dallas Stars, 50% salary retained, so a million bucks retained on his deal. Um, so the Red Wings between Ponick, Letty, and Nemesnikov are maxed out on the amount of contracts that they could retain salary on for the rest of the season uh, in exchange for a 2024 fourth round pick from Dallas. I do think that's encouraging that Eisenman thinks we'll survive nuclear winter until 2024. That's fantastic. Uh, but that was the return. And that was a very, um, that was a tough one for wings fans to swallow, especially considering this wasn't a Letty level. Oh, someone overpaid for this guy return. Yeah. When Mantha got traded, most wings fans loved Anthony Mantha and they're like, Oh no, I don't want him to go. And then they saw the return. They're like, Oh, it's fine. Um, that didn't happen here. So, First thing I will say to all the Wings fans who are rightfully upset on Twitter for Nemesnikov leaving, he is a pending UFA. If he really, truly wants to be here and Eiserman really, truly wants to have him, he could be back in a few months. I'm not saying he will be. We've not seen any reports whether that's even going to be an option. But It almost never happens. It's very, very rare. For, it's, it is nice to think about, though. But it's possible, okay? 
The rest of this season means nothing to the Red Wings. The Red Wings had very few pending UFAs who anybody would even give a shit about. So given that they only traded three of them, that's not a coincidence. Those are probably the only guys anybody anybody even inquired about. So just to get that out of the way. The fourth round pick is exactly Vlad Nemesnikov's value because it's the third time he's been traded for a fourth round pick. The market's been set on him by him. Yeah, the like I almost forgot for a couple minutes when I was talking about Nemesnikov. I'm like, yeah, Nemesnikov for a fourth is probably fair. I'm like, where have I heard that before? Oh, literally with Nemesnikov. Yeah. Yeah. Now the way he's played this year, could you make a case he should have got more than a fourth? Yeah, probably. Especially with some salary retained. But there's a couple ways to look at that to justify it. One, we live in our Red Wings bubble where someone like Vlad Nemesnikov appears way better than he actually is because we're comparing him to the rest of the Red Wings, which outside of the top like four or five forts is not anything to write home about. And two, we saw the rest for as hot as the defensive market was this week, the forward market was not strong. Like if you look at Andrew Kopp went for two conditional seconds and he's a very useful middle six center. Like we've had conversations about him as a potential free agent coming into Detroit, but the forward market wasn't crazy. There was lots of guys out there. Like, um, was it Pittsburgh didn't even have to give up a guaranteed first round pick for Ricard Raquel, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just the way the market works. Defense was everything everybody wanted. And forwards were like, yeah, we could stand to fill out the roster. So it sucks for Vla- to see Vlad go because he's a fan favorite. But, you know, the cold hard fact of it is this is about right. And if he wasn't guaranteed to sign an extension, you trade the guys that you can get any half-decent return for. Like if someone offered Steve Eisman, let's say a sixth or a seventh round pick for Sam Gagne, and Eisman goes, you know what? No, he's too well-liked in the room. That's not worth it to lose that guy out of the room. Fair. A fourth round pick does have value. So if someone's willing to give you a fourth round pick for a bottom six forward and he d- hasn't signed a contract extension or he's not part of your long-term plans, you have to do it. That's the, that's the cold, hard reality of the NHL. So I think that's all that this came down to. If there were it, like, I think it's fair to be disappointed. You know, Nemestikov loves Detroit fan favorite, easy guy to root for heart and soul player. And that's fine. Um, and I think it's fair to be disappointed in the fourth round pick because you you know at one point maybe he was playing at a level that would have justified higher or you know in different market conditions he could have gotten more. But like you said, Brad, I would have been more disappointed if he wasn't moved at all because he's worth something and they got something. I mean, if the market dictated a return of a fifth or a sixth, then I wouldn't care so much. But that's a free fourth for a guy who you don't know is going to be back. Um, Yeah, it's not a great trade. But it's the trade that it looked like they had to make. It came at the 11th hour, again, like late in the game. So very obviously, Eisenman was holding a guy that was very easy to sell for as long as possible. And and the fourth is what it was. I'm not too pressed about the salary retained. Like whenever you talk about salary retained, yes, you should, in theory, get more when you're doing that. But it was a million bucks. You know what? Like. GMs know how much cap space you have. They know you're not going to be doing anything else with it. So it's, it's the leverage doesn't go away, but I don't know. It's the trade is, as Brad would say, fine. The return isn't great. I would have loved to have seen higher, but what is it? You want to put a grade on it? Give it a C. Who cares? It's been pretty cold since his heater. Yeah, he has actually. So that doesn't help either because. 
He needs to do what Nick Letty did, which is turn it on when he got close to the trade deadline. Literally one game before. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's whatever. If he really want, wants to be in Detroit, he's a free agent. He could resign or sign in the offseason if he wants. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't bet that it happens, but if that helps people come to terms with it, then he. I actually can't that. think of an example where that's happened, like on any team. It's very, it's extremely rare. It's extremely rare. Keith Kachuk did it once. <laughs> yeah, it's only going back like three Holy years. Shit, <laughs> that's yeah. Just to kind of emphasize, I didn't. Re- I couldn't remember what I did at work on Friday. Uh, some more news from Eiserman. Um, he actually talked quite a bit about Wallman. Um, been watching him for a while, and they believe he's a guy who got stuck behind a lot of other players uh, in St. Louis. So, oh, he's- who does that remind you of? Robbie Fabry, baby. Yeah, yeah. So he's poaching the same uh, same team for that kind of situation. He said he's gonna get he's gonna get an opportunity in Detroit. The only left handed defenseman signed beyond the season is Jordan Osterly. So, um, and with Oscar, the only other right handed forward that they have is Lucas, and he's gonna bring some valuable penalty killing. He does have really good penalty killing numbers. This is true. Also, I will not tolerate this Mitchell Stevens erasure. But anyways, yeah. Well, he's he was he's skating in a non contact jersey, so he'll be back soon too. So the bottom. Thank God. Th- Thank God. Yeah. We really need to curb this losing s- streak. <laughs> well, the Meslinkovs out. So now they have two good candidates to plug in and uh, see what they got. Um, and some additional notes here. Um, he was asked about Jeff Plashill and he said, We're here to talk about the trade deadline. <laughs> There'll be a time uh, to sit down in the future with Jeff to discuss uh, what's next. I appreciate whoever asked <laughs> that, but I could have told you that was going to be the answer. Yeah. Almost verbatim. Um, also, it's important to note that Joe Valeno and Taro Hirose were made available for the AHL playoffs. Okay, good. And with Mark Stahl, um, asked about Mark Stahl, um, he acknowledged, Eisman acknowledged that they're going to need defense on the left side. Wouldn't make any commitments, but uh, Stahl is someone that they're going to consider between now and July. So as we've talked about, there is going to need need to be some gap filling on the left side. Akin to this year, you're not going to be changing the world with your Edvinson's going to hopefully come in, and that's essentially the only big move, maybe. It depends on his camp, so you, you do need to fill in a Sprangle little bit. Sprangle shoot left or right, I forget. He's a lefty, but he's not a consideration for the team next year. He's still got a lot more development to go. Okay. But, um, yeah, no, bringing back Mark Stahl would make sense, and, and we've mentioned that before, just because you're not going into next season with Edvinson, Yalevi, Wallman, Hronik, Sider, and Lindstrom. That would be an exceptionally young defensive group uh, compared to the rest of the NHL, and, and you need at least – one guy who's been there done that before so if it's those six and mark Stahl, and that's the seven you're rolling with next year sure great or osterly instead of yalevi i don't care pick whatever you want but yeah that that make that tracks and on the ahl front some more they um asked about berger and eisman noted how big of a part he is in that run in grand rapids and to the point where they don't want to pull him away from there so yeah it's not looking like we're going to see berger this year um which is fine because it's more beneficial to you know, leave him to Grand Rapids and have him succeed there. So it's always good to get into Eisenman's head on this. Um, you know, the last thing here is, which is really notable, and, and we're going to be talking about Tyler Bertuzzi and, you know, what was heard about him in a minute. But uh, asked about Larkin and Bertuzzi, Eisenman said it's he's going to make it a priority over the next 18 months at some point, because they each have one year left on their contract, to sign them both to extensions. So 
that's pretty key. Does that mean, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi is here to stay forever? No, absolutely not. We saw what happened with Anthony Mantha. And for those of you who are going to scream and yell at me that I'm always saying it about Bertuzzi, yes, technically the same holds true for Larkin. He's just waiting for his birthday. <laughs> uh, Letty got traded a day after his birthday. But I, I think that's a more function of the trade deadline than anything. Um, but that is really notable. Tyler Bertuzzi was an interesting saga. After we recorded the podcast, Frank Saravalli put out on uh, DFO, their pod, um, he believes there was a conversation at some point where Bertuzzi said, uh, you know, it wasn't a trade request, but he said he would be open to moving if that's what happened. Something to to that effect. It wasn't a trade request, but just that he'd be okay with the idea of it. Um, When asked about it, Bertuzzi and his camp came out and firmly said no, like, no, I want to stay in Detroit. That's my priority. Like, I want to remain a Red Wing. It's up to you and what you believe. Players who, it, it can be, it can stand to reason that a player could be open to the trade if asked by the GM, but wants to stay. Could be that something like, you know, wires got crossed or whatever it might be. But still, it's not really a secret that Bertuzzi was available. <sighs> Listen, if your GM comes to you, your boss comes to you and says, if I can get you on a team that could potentially win the Stanley Cup, would you be interested in that? I can't imagine a lot of people would say no. I think plenty of people would say no. With I think one year left on your deal. Yeah. You're about to back the Brinks truck up. Yeah, hundred percent. Some guys just it matters to guys where they live. It matters to them where the the guys they play with, and it matters to them like about their family and everything. So you could go play with Connor McDavid and Leandre Isaiah. I would You'd not say no. Me personally, well. If you are had the skill set of Tyler Bertuzzi, <laughs> well, there's there's there are absolutely plenty of guys who would who would not go play in Edmonton. Well, I wouldn't go play in Edmonton. That was a bad <laughs> that was a bad example. Florida, uh, Pittsburgh, Tampa, make your pick. Anyways. Oh, Florida, I'm there. Anyways, it does sound like there were some conversations around Tyler Bertuzzi. I believe there was something not substantial. Like I don't think they got anywhere close to a deal, but there was conversations with Pittsburgh who are interested. Um, but based on what Pittsburgh had available, which is more of like a player's hockey trade because they have absolutely no futures left there. And what Eisman wanted for the Red Wings, which was, you know, picks and prospects like futures, um, the deal fell flat. That was like. A, so they were kicking tires. I think it was more than kicking tires from what I was able to glean. It got a little bit further than kicking tires. But, you know, it was just a all right, we don't we're not going to be able to. This meet. isn't going to work. Yeah, we're not going to be able to meet in the middle here. That's about as far as what I know around Bertuzzi. I also think to some degree Heronic was being um, maybe shopped around as too aggressive of a word, but maybe they were gauging the market, which makes a lot of sense considering the kind of insane returns defensemen were getting. You know, if you're going to move a guy like Heronic, this was probably a time where you can get absolute max value out of that. So none of those deals materialize so all of that poof does not matter like it's immaterial at this point but it is still interesting to know because to me these are signals eisenman's not looking to accelerate this rebuild and you know if you think back to some conversations we've had over the recent over recent weeks what do you do it looks like eisenman's more or less staying firm with his patient slow steady rebuild with a solid foundation outlook yeah, it makes sense because if, you know, a player of Bertuzzi's caliber, you don't get rid of just for the sake of getting rid of him. It has to really blow you away. The timing of that Raquel trade is interesting, though. 
because that was a super last minute deal between Pittsburgh and Anaheim. So that could have been one of those ones like uh, when Detroit and Vegas uh, traded for Tatar because Vegas was all in on Eric Carlson up until the last minute, couldn't get him and then called Detroit and they whipped something up quickly. So that that could have happened there with Pittsburgh and Detroit where, you know, 230 rolls around, they haven't finalized anything on Bertuzzi. So, you know, Pittsburgh was probably kicking tires on Raquel said, all right, this is our priority now. Let's get something done. Mm-hmm. That very well could have happened. But no, yeah, it's. It's going to create a very fascinating dynamic, though, because I think with Larkin, we know what Larkin is and what he's going to be, and probably for a, a good amount of time. With Bertuzzi, we still really don't. He's currently at his career high in points, and he hasn't broken 50 points this season. He's, he will, but he hasn't yet. So it's not like Bertuzzi's out here putting up 80-point season after 80-point season. He's had two tough contract negotiations with Detroit. He'll have one year left. You know, I, I'm not even going to mention the Vax thing because who cares? Uh, those restrictions are getting lifted all over the world, like month by month at this point. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I don't think it's going to be relevant next year. Um, but what do you do with a guy who's had one season of, you know, quote unquote, elite level hockey? You because to me, as much as I love Bird, I'm not giving him a seven, eight year contract. The one thing that's on the on the books in terms of what you need to like think about is he also had major back surgery mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, he had it and he looks good, but like back surgeries generally leave you in a degenerative state because I'm a medical doctor. I know these things. Um, Don't tell my mom. Yeah. Jeez. She'll try to adopt me. <laughs> I think she already did when both of you went over that one time and she saw how much of her food both of you ate. And I grew up a scrawny little shit who was just way too picky as a kid. She honestly tried to kick me out at the end of the day and have you guys stay. She started calling me Ryan. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. She does that a lot. You're not the first. You won't be the last. Um, but that's another major factor in the contract negotiation. So to say it'll be cut and dry would be wrong. I think it's going to be fair. I mean, if it is, like that'll be amazing. But it's going to be very difficult to size that one up. Here's the thing. I think it's obviously like there. there's a f- certain fluidity to this. Like if Eisman can get Bertuzzi in on a good contract and Bertuzzi seems to want to stay, like you look at how much he loves playing in Detroit and the fact that he outright said it around trade deadline like that means something. I don't think that means nothing. There's not, uh, it's not that you absolutely have to move Bertuzzi for the reasons stated, but I think we can all see say pretty confidently that this next contract negotiation is more likely than not going to be difficult and if it's not it'll be surprising based on what we've seen right over the last two just because the previous two have already been rocky and i don't even know where to begin on what tyler bertuzzi's next contract will or should look like because even though he's having a career this year this year he's been wildly inconsistent within that one year He's had more than a few games where he's looked downright bad. He has not produced on the second line like he did when he was with Dylan Larkin. So how much of that factors into the conversation? Like, hey, we're not paying you X amount of dollars because when you're away from our best player, you don't look like one of our best players. But when you are with our best player, you look like one of our best players. Like, how do you, how do you pay that guy? Right? So they, that Guelph lines had their stretches, but it's not like they've been dominant a majority of the time since they've been put together so you factor that in then you factor in the back injury then you factor in the previous complicated uh, uh 
contract negotiations. Then you factor in the, like I said, the he's only had the one truly elite season so far. Like with Larkin, I can take a pretty educated guess at what his next contract's going to look like. You know, it'll be probably something long term. It'll probably be somewhere in the like you know seven, eight, nine million range, and everybody will be happy. <laughs> I could see Bertuzzi's next contract being anywhere from five to eight, and I could see it anywhere being from like two to six years. Like I don't have the foggiest idea of what would be fair for him right now. Which I, you yeah. know, I do feel for him. Eisenman has had the Eisenman, Larkin has had the luxury of playing with Raymond literally all year, right? And Bertuzzi is the loser coming off that line. Like he's the one losing out more. Like they lost Bertuzzi, and that sucks. You know, you, you your one winger goes from Bertuzzi to Nemesnikov, and no offense to Vlad, he wasn't Bert when he slotted up there, even on his better days. But Bertuzzi. Yeah, Suter and Fabry aren't slouches, and they had that hot streak. But in general, it's a tough transition. So I'm not too quick to hold it against him that he's had games where he's looked off. Um, My concern would be if he made it back onto that line and then we saw absolutely nothing from him. But, okay, here's here's the opposite point. But here's the thing. It's, It's easy to dismiss that stuff because it's probably right. But when you're talking tens of millions of dollars... It, it's no, gonna, it's to gonna matter. It's gonna matter. You have, and ignoring that stuff is how you get into bad contract situations. It's how you end up with Justin Nablocator at hundred percent, a billion right. dollars. Hey, what do you think <laughs> is the single most traumatic event of Brad Crisco's life? If you had to guess, <laughs> I have no idea. I'll still never forgive you for defending that contract when it was signed. I <laughs> oh, this was a rhetorical question. Yes, it was. Oh, sorry. And I can't believe that you couldn't pick up what I was putting down there. Because so many things came to my head that it could or could not be. I want you to name something that isn't the Abdulkader contract because now <laughs> I'm curious. Um, it was I don't know. the Abbey contract. My defense was half-hearted and I was trying to not be a grump. The DeKaiser contract was the one that I actually tried to defend. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong. Just get it right about what I was wrong about way back when. Oh, how we've grown. Um, some more... Uh, <laughs> Asked about re-signing Nemesikov, more Eisenman quips here. Uh, Eisenman recognized that Vlad played for the better part of two seasons and played really well for Detroit. He's a member of another organization now, so he can't comment on that, but they'll be looking into the free agent market to approve their team again next year. That is so many words to say, not a damn thing. I think you can say... He's not coming back. That's what that's the old uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I think, he's, I think that's saying we're going to look at Vlad if he's available. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully. One of the old, like, I can't say this, but. Yeah. Yeah. And there's more in there on Soderbloom and Edmondson and, you know, overall selling market, but we'll get into that in in future date. What do you think about Philip Ronick? Because my first thought when I saw these, these trade returns, which we'll get into um, after the ad break here. uh, When I saw these trade returns for defensemen, I was like, Hey, look, I'm not a sell Heronic at any cost kind of guy, but I'm a sell Heronic if a team wants to pay you an absolute king's ransom for him. And his situation, and work with me here on this one, is not entirely dissimilar to like the Mantha situation, right? Cost controlled, you kind of know what he is, and he might be better on a different team in a different situation. I'm not surprised to hear he was shopped around, if that's the right way to phrase it. And yeah, I, was, I, didn't, I didn't see a ton around his name though. It wasn't that it wasn't like Bert. No, it, there wasn't a lot out there. Um, I'm sure teams called, but Heronix, what, 24, 25? 
Uh, 24. Yeah, 24. So he's very young. He fits the bill better than anybody when having the conversation of you gotta keep somebody half decent through the rebuild, right? Um, does Burt not also apply there? The three-year age gap does make it a different conversation, but no, it, it could definitely apply because that was the, that yeah. was my going to be my argument against what we were talking about, which is okay. Yeah, you can always min-max and sell guys for as much as you can, blah blah blah. But if they keep Burt, it's not like that's like that's still a really good player that you're keeping, and you yeah. need those guys for cup runs. Anyways, keep going about Hirono. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So it's. We mentioned last episode, the Red Wings' right side is not as deep as it as we and others make it sound. Because if, you know, you got Sider and Hironik and Lindstrom right now, who are all decent and to great, in Sider's case, and who are all young and who can, that can be the right side for a long, long time if you want it to be. But that's it for guarantees, because we don't know what Tuo Miso is going to be and, and the rest of the pipeline. Or if any of the lefties can play the right side. We have no clue. So yeah. Hironik is at least a bit of certainty there. Um, because even Lindstrom, I don't think we can say for sure we know exactly what he is just yet. Pretty good idea. Not anything special, but but can can play a role over there. Could Hironik improve? Yeah. Has he had the greatest year? No. Is there still a lot of concerns around his game? Yeah. But like you said, he's young and cost-controlled. He's the type of guy that you keep in this exact type of situation. Now, if someone came along and, and threw like a Brandon Hagel level level offer at him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You take that trade 100 out of 100 times. But um, it obviously didn't happen or else it would have happened. So Hot take. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think anybody should be disappointed that he's kicking around. And, you know, until you find a replacement for him. There's probably not much sense moving him unless teams are literally tripping over themselves to get at him. All right, let's do draft grades. Steve Eisman, the Red Wings, how they do trade grades? What trade grades? Did I say draft? Yeah. Do draft grades. Screw it. I'm not. I'm doubling down. Do draft grade. No trade deadline grades. How do you? Uh, how do you rate Eisman's job for the Red Wings? I'll say a B plus. Yeah. Like I. Wasn't expecting much. We didn't get much. Uh, one of the trades came in well over what we were expecting. One came in a little under and the other was about right. So that's above average. Didn't blow us away, but it was above average. So I think uh, a B plus is good. Yeah. I mean, we knew the Red Wings weren't going to be a pure seller. So... We're not sitting here like, why are we still sitting here with all these assets that yeah. we should have moved when we know the team needs to you know, continue in some fashion next year. So with that being said, you know, it was just okay. Like it was a B, B plus. It was, it was just okay. Like the fact that he got basically what we paid, he paid for Letty is excellent. Plus two more players to, to plug and play and see what they've got. That's great. Stetcher, just whatever. That's just a uh, being a good guy. Um, and then I thought, you know, there could be a little bit more on Nemesnikov, but clearly there wasn't. If the best thing you can do is salary retain fourth round pick, then whatever. So I don't know what my expectations were for the, the trade deadline today, but it was just, I wasn't 
I was waiting for that one trade all day for any of the teams to just be like, holy shit, I can't believe this happened. And it never did. No. So I don't know really how to feel right now. For me, the, the overall day for the Red Wings comes in at like a dead average B, whatever you want to call it. The, the, did we fleece anyone? Maybe St. Louis a little bit. According to their fans, they yeah. definitely did. <laughs> yeah. there, there were more than a few replies to St. Louis's tweet about the trade saying, uh, if Steve, I- Doug, if Steve Eisenman calls you, hang up the phone because <laughs> it's the second time this has happened now. Yeah. I, yeah, the Letty trade for me is if the Letty trade or something equivalent didn't happen, I think Letty was the true like litmus test for the Red Wings. I would have been disappointed. And not only did that trade happen, the return was great in my mind. It was a really strong return. One that I could walk away thinking I'm satisfied even if the rest is underwhelming. And it kind of was. Stetcher moving for a seventh. Yeah, I'm not going to give that a good trade grade arbitrarily, but it kind of is what it is. Um, and with Nemesnikov, it's like, is it a big deal to retain a million bucks? No. No. Is it is a fourth a, a great pick in return? No. Is it about what the market was doing with forwards? Yeah, sure. So overall, I think the Letty one was really good. And that's what brings it up to like a, a B, B plus if you want to get pedantic about it. Um, I walk away from it thinking, okay, there were no steps backwards. The the rebuild, the eyes are playing, if you will, moves on. There are more decisions to come. It's also, keep note, like this doesn't all have to happen at the trade deadline. Like, they can still trade. We can, we they talk, can make trades right now. Talked about, yeah. And we and in the off season, like Burt could go, Rona could go, Verona could go. Stall like well, I think stall is a UFA, but you. Know I think I mean. the only reason why maybe I'm, if I was gonna say I'm disappointed in it, is because all of the teams who are contenders this year are loading up. Every team is going out and just like you get a first, you get a first. Yeah, what yeah, do you yeah. want? We're putting together an absolute wagon, and we're gonna try and win this year. So that's maybe why I thought, oh wow, we could. The, someone will be in on Bertuzzi absolutely and pay top top dollar for it, and it just didn't happen. So maybe that's one thing that I need to move away from. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think overall, looking at the trade deadline, I think a lot of fans were expecting more trades than just the three or a bigger return. But you know, for the most part, trade deadlines rental season. And if you looked at the body of work that the Red Wings UFA pending UFAs put in this season, it was terrible. Max, uh, Max Vlad Nemesnikov was the only one that I think we could say was half decent this year. You know, Mark Stahl memes aside. So the Red Wings had a very bad pending UFA group rental crop. And Steve Eisman walked away with a second, a fourth, a seventh, and two usable players out of a very bad UFA crop. Mm-hmm. I... So if if you just look at it from that lens, I think he did phenomenal. Yeah, you're not. They didn't give up years of of control, like cost controlled contracts. Like this isn't Mantha. They didn't give up that many years. It was just twenty games for each player, rest of the season, yeah. give or take. So Stetcher was a regular healthy scratch. Nick Letty was bad for the Red Wings, and yeah, losing the Mesnikov hurts. But like you said, it's twenty games. All right, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the trade deadline uh, and then taking some questions. But before we do that, I do want to tell you that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, especially on maybe somewhat dull trade deadline days, even more excitement. 
There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook, uh, from ease of use and registration, deposits, and finding your best bets, and withdrawals are quick and easy. When you win, FanDuel wait, pays your winnings back in as little as 24 hours. They're also always running great odds boosts and specials every day with some big super boosts each weekend. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game, and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get that grand back in site credit. Now, what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000, and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right. There are literally trades being confirmed right now. It's 20 to 7. This is hilarious. Yeah, like trades that we've heard of or... Like- uh, Victor, I just found out Victor Rask got traded to Seattle. Oh, yeah. That one happened as in the middle of uh, you talking. Like, my God. It's almost 7 o'clock. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to read out some notable trades. Travis here. Hamanick. My Don't God. You want to start with that one, eh? I want to start with We that. have to start with that one. <laughs> that my one God. was... That, like... Ottawa. Ottawa. Did it, he went on waivers this year, right? Yeah. <laughs> he cleared waivers. They could have had him for his contract in the waiver fee, which is a few grand. And There's they, a few too many Pierres in Ottawa. But here's the thing, too. Every Pierre is an extra Pierre in yeah. there. <laughs> Nobody claimed Travis Hamanick for two reasons. Uh, one, he's bad at hockey. And two, the mountain of baggage. Uh, that follows this man around wherever he goes. Yeah, it, you have to be really shitty for you to be widely disliked in a hockey dressing room. Hockey dressing rooms aren't exactly filled with like... <laughs> it's not the hall of good guys. No, <laughs> it's not. Anyone who's played hockey over the course of time knows that these aren't, you know, yeah. moral beacons in that room. Yeah. Uh, not everybody's played hockey, but I assume most people understand what a frat party is. Just think of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anyways... Because there, there were some people who came out after that trade saying, yeah, Vancouver Canucks are very happy to have this guy out of their room. And and that information almost never comes out after a trade, right? Like, unless some dude's got a long history. Ottawa gave up a third round pick for him. And then Vancouver's like, oh, we're going to go take a third round pick and, and trade for Travis Dermott, an actual usable defenseman with potential. And Ottawa got Travis Hamlin. <laughs> is a third round pick going to sink them? No. Is it a terrible, terrible, terrible sign that your team that is not good enough to be making a push is giving up assets? Giving up assets for such a forgettable player in terms of impact on the ice? As someone who is there during the worst, most awkward years of do we rebuild or do we keep going of the Red Wings and what Ken Holland did for that period of time. Going to stop you there. Not a relevant point. The rebuild in Ottawa is over. That is true. They're at it. They did say it. They they, they said they declare it. it. Man, am I happy they're in our division? Yeah. I feel legitimately bad for Sens fans because between their owner, the team, 
management. They they deserve none of this. But it's just so nice to know there's going to be a team in our division that will never challenge the Red Wings, no matter <laughs> how long it takes to try to get good. Uh, other notable trades, and I think this is when we started to understand that the trade market was going to go nuts. Uh, Brandon Hagel uh, went from Chicago to Tampa Bay. He and two fourth round picks, or sorry, yeah, 2022 and a 2024 fourth round picks uh, in exchange for Taylor Radish, Boris Kachuk, a 2023 conditional first and a 2024 conditional first, uh, both of them top 10 protected to Chicago. It is not as bad, I think, as it was made out to be. And, and a few people made this point. He's cost controlled for two more years and I, he's in an RFA upon expiry and he's been producing pretty well. But that's a that's a hefty sum. You don't see that every year at the trade deadline. Multiple firsts. This is what a flat cap does, where when you have a legitimately good player, albeit like a at best a middle six player, but you have him cost controlled for cheap. That becomes incredibly valuable, especially to teams like Tampa, who are right up against the cap. Uh, Hampus Lindholm did end up moving from Anaheim, fifty percent salary retained in exchange for there is some like whatever he and Cody Curran and then John Moore and uh, Erho Vakaninen went the other way, but Anaheim got in return Boston's twenty twenty two first, twenty twenty three second, and twenty twenty four second all in exchange for Hampus Lindholm. And then they promptly extended Hampus Lindholm for eight years at six and a half million dollars per year. I believe it was. That was a tidy piece of business for Boston right up until they signed that extension. Someone made a point. (laughs) Boston's not going to be anywhere close to competing by the time that that's a problem. And as funny as it is, that's actually fair. It's very relevant. Yeah. The back half of that contract is probably going to be terrible, but I think you're right. Boston's not going to care. Uh, Claude Giroux went to Florida with, uh, you know, a couple of AHL guys in a 2024 fifth in exchange for Owen Tippett, a 2023 third, a 2024 first. That's conditional uh, for top 10 uh, protection. That one to me was a symptom of Claude Giroux has a no trade clause or whatever it was. Well, it was reported that Giroux was only willing to accept a trade to Florida. And we saw how that went last year when Taylor Hall would only accept a trade to Boston, how low of a return that got. Um, so to get a first round pick and a pretty decent reclamation project like Owen Tippett, that's not bad. And again, Drew's a pure rental. Like he could sign an extension in Florida, but the trade did not come with that extension. Um, and Florida's in win now mode. So it makes sense for both sides. Which, by the way, did you see a. Any pictures or video of Owen Tippett's first game with Philly? Mm-mm. That is the most amount of orange I've ever seen on my screen at one time. <laughs> no player has ever matched the Flyers better than Owen Tippett. The amount of like that again, like these deals aren't all terrible. Like I'm not saying that they're bad and they're all overpaid, but the amount of first round picks flying around to me was what was surprising. It seemed like, and Eisman said this, like the heavy hitters were going in, like they were holding nothing back to the point that when we got to, all right, the guys that had a Nick Lettier out of the way, okay, the guys that had a Nemesnikov out of the way, or can a team take on Bertuzzi? It's like, I have nothing left to give. Yeah, we were... um I think it was about a half hour before Nick Letty was trading. Someone reported that Florida was kicking tires on him. And 
everybody ran to Florida's cap friendly page just to realize that of their next six first and second round picks, they only had one of them left and it was a second in 2023. Yeah. Like they are the definition of all in, but it's worth noting. And I think Prashant brought this up on Twitter, which, and I'm glad he did because it's not off. It's not mentioned enough. Not all first round picks are created equal. You see like Brandon Hagel getting two first. That's not like Edmonton or Detroit gave up two first round picks. Tampa gave up like probably pick 27 and pick 31. Rough for a team with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl being lumped in with <laughs> yeah, Detroit. Well, but, you know, but like I'm talking like yeah, middle yeah. to early in the first round. That That is not the same. I know we were talking about a few episodes ago where, you know, some fans are disappointed that Joe Valeno has evolved into looking like probably a third line center at the NHL level. For the 30th overall pick, that's phenomenal value. They The Detroit actually punched above the draft slot there, even though he was technically a first round pick. So a team like Florida, who's probably going to be picking in that range for the next three years. If you end up with half a season out of Claude Giroux, Sam Reinhardt and the Ben Schrott trade was terrible, but still you ended up with, you know, three very good pieces towards cup run. Of course you you do that. Of course you do that because they're not giving up, you know, Mo Sider. They're giving up Joe Valeno. Yeah. Which again, there's value to those players, but a 30th overall pick is not contributing to Florida's next two or three cup runs. Yeah. It's I, I know as Red Wings fans, we're hoping for first round picks because, well, just objectively in a rebuild, you'd rather have pick 31 than pick 62. But you know, if you're a team on the other end of that, yeah, what? Who cares? Toronto. Went out and got uh, a 50% retained Mark Giordano and Colin Blackwell in exchange for a 2022 second, a 2023 second, and a 2024 third. I don't hate that one from them. No, that's, uh, again, no first-round pick in there, so it's going to be a bunch of late second-round picks in all likelihood. Giordano is not the player he used to be, but he's still really good. And Toronto, with Muzzin being out for the rest of the season, looking like that's, that's an upgrade still. So, yeah, of course they, they should have done that. Giordano literally had – he has a no move, and they asked him for a 10-team no trade list, and he was like, I don't care. Trade me wherever. And they're like, no, legally we need you to give us a 10-team no trade list. He's like, I'm serious. Trade me anywhere. And they were like, we need this. And he just gave them 10 non-playoff teams because he had to. Man, he wanted out of Seattle. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah. uh. um, Mark, we, we appreciate you giving this – to us in writing, but this just says Ottawa 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> Marc-Andre Fleury did move 50% retained to Minnesota in exchange for a 2022 second that upgrades to a first if the uh, uh, Wild go to the conference finals and Fleury has at least four wins in the first two rounds. So, I mean, I guess if the Wild know they're going to be in cap hell very soon, that's fine. Kind of an interesting deal. Yeah, I do I have to look at this trade two ways because on the surface, I don't love this trade for Minnesota because I don't think they're super serious cup contenders. The West is a little more wide open than the East, so they have that going for them, but they have to go through St. Louis, Colorado, and then probably Calgary or whoever just to get to the finals, and I don't love their odds in any of those series. Um, so giving up a second round pick for flurry, isn't the worst idea in the world. It only turns into a first if they actually take out a couple of those teams, 
But then the flip side of that for me is, oh, yeah, they're screwed next year. You might as well go for it now. Yeah. You might as well. So, yeah, it, I, I thought that was a good trade for them because of that. Chicago's not doing poorly, eh? It's unfortunate now that they seem to have a competent GM who is moving <laughs> in one direction. Um, it's funny because, like, Kane was available. DeBrinket was available. And I, I don't uh, – I have nothing against people who are interested in those guys, but there's a lot of questions like, hey, should the Red Wings pick up to bring it? And it's like, look, would Steve Eisman, would Jeff Blasio, would every fan of the Red Wings, would Dylan Larkin love Alex to bring it on the Red Wings? Oh my God, yeah. You have to understand that teams that are in the same position as the Red Wings, if not a little behind, they're not going to do the Red Wings a favor. So I'm not saying those trades will never happen. And I'm not even saying the, tr- the Red Wings are necessarily far away from, from trying to make those trades if they do ever happen. But I don't think the Red Wings are quite there yet to be giving up the assets that Chicago would look for, which is, if you're a fan of the Red Wings, you know, futures for a Debrinket type. You have to know that you are not far away from competing. Otherwise, you are wasting years, you are wasting picks, and you're wasting prospects. The way I kind of benchmark this for the entire NHL to make trades like that, where, you know, you are making that trade and you have to include a first round pick in it. Cause you're not getting it to bring it without a first round pick in there or that level of player at that age. Yeah. Is that, are you positive that first round pick is going to be in the back half of the first round? Because if it's not, you don't make that trade. Mm-hmm. And that's not even because I'm, like obviously the value in a top half of the first round versus second half matters, but that's your benchmark of should you be acquiring? Cause if you're not picking in the back half of the first round, you're not competing. Yeah. So you can sit there and go, there's a reasonable chance that we're going to get a player as good as Alex to bring it with that first round pick, because it's going to be like 11th overall. Well, that guy is going to be four five, six, seven years younger than the player you're acquiring and you're not competing. So on two fronts, that trade doesn't make sense. Once you're in the position, like I just talked about a few minutes ago, Florida, Tampa, where, yeah, we're giving up pick 25, 28, 30. Oh, yeah, you try to make those trades every day of the week. Once you're there, the Red Wings are not close to being there. I wanted to talk about one last thing before we jump into overtime here and there's going to be more in future episodes we're not done with the trade deadline we'll be covering a little bit more about how things have shaken out from the league with our luck the moment we're done recording there will be some bombshell that's going to drop and it just wasn't you know pushed through the hopper because like you said the hamster can only run so many consecutive hours before the spca comes um the the red wings still have decisions to be made and we talked about this you know, they want to extend Larkin and Bertuzzi, and that's Eisman saying the right things, uh, but I also believe it. But that doesn't also mean that something can't happen before that, and also doesn't mean that something can't happen after that. They have to pick a direction. And again, Prashanth very, um, I think very well, in a very well-articulated manner, brought this up. The Red Wings have to pick a direction, and you can't half-ass it. They're at an awkward point where you have to decide, I want to capitalize on the years that seem to have been shaved off the rebuild and try to get better now or i want to fully commit to the long-term vision take the couple more years few more years of pain and really build that solid foundation 
which means you have to look at players like Verona. You have to look at players like Heronic. Maybe I know there's an age difference and you have to look at players like Bertuzzi. Not necessarily all of them have to go, but if there is a monumental return in there somewhere, you should probably consider taking it. I don't think it is so cut and dry in Eisman's head, which no one has ever been in except for Eisman. So don't take this as gospel. And I think it's a little fluid. I think the way Bertuzzi negotiates is going to inform a lot. I think the way Heronic maybe plays for the rest of the season and into next is going to inform a lot. And I think the way Verona finishes out the season is going to inform a lot. Like it, there's a bunch of variables and there's not one set concrete path. And Eisman would scoff at you if you pretended there was. But I do think if I had to guess the that Eisman is erring towards the it's exciting, I know, but rebuilds take a long time to do right. So we are still going to stay on the hard but good path here of taking our time. My hot take is that one of Bertuzzi, Verona, or Heronic aren't on the team to start next season. I could see that because to your point, the way I look at this is right now the Red Wings essentially have two cores and you have to pick which is the one that's more likely to win the Stanley Cup and build around them. You have the core that is currently in their prime, Larkin, Verana, Bertuzzi, Hronik, Nedeljkovic. Can you build around them to win a cup? And that doesn't not include Edmondson, Sider, Raymond, all the prospects, because they're going to come in in the next year or two. But how good are they going to be in their first few years? Not everybody is Mo Sider, right? Or you look at your second core, the wave that's coming through. Edmondson, Sider, Raymond, Kosa, Johansson, you know, all the players in that age range mm-hmm. who are in the Red Wing system right now. Can you build a cup winner around them? And again, that doesn't mean that Larkin and Verona and Bertuzzi can't be included. Teams that win cups have multiple players over the age of 30 when they do it. But you have to pick your core and you have to focus on that because you can't half-ass it. You can't extend all those guys into their mid-30s and then run out of money for the second wave of guys coming through. If you're up against the cap because you signed Larkin $9 million, Bertuzzi $7.5 million, Hronik $6 million, Nedeljkovic $6 million, and all of a sudden, oh, shit, Mo Sider needs a raise and we're right up against the cap. That's, that's what you have to avoid. And again, I'm not even going to sit here and care about, oh, you got to trade Bertuzzi for assets. I think the Red Wings are past that. I think they have enough in the system right now, enough picks, enough prospects to work with that they don't need to acquire a ton more because unless you're getting lottery tickets for 2023, I'm not saying they can't trade these guys. There's absolutely value in trading a Verona and a Bertuzzi. I'm just not saying they have to. Okay. Um, Like I said, there's nobody on this team that's untouchable. You get the right offer, you take it, but it has to be the right offer where my, focus and concern and i have full faith in eisman to not do this is yeah you can't overcommit to that older core you can't do exactly what i just said which is shell out big bucks to all of them and run out of money now the obvious implication there is yes now you are going to trade some of those guys for futures because a you can't afford to pay them all and b yeah, you probably still want a few more lottery balls in the hopper. You want a few more prospects. And I understand the Red Wings have a billion prospects right now, and they are not all going to play for the Red Wings. The Red Wings prospect pool on the left side of the D is ridiculous right now. It's so good. They all can't play. But what are those? They're still assets. You know, if you're sitting there with a 22-year-old Donovan Sabrango who looks really good in Grand Rapids, but there is not a spot in him for Detroit, you will probably pretty easily be able to flip him 
for, you know, the second or third line winger that you need or the backup goalie that you need or whatever you need. These are still assets. So, yeah, that's kind of what Eisenman has to decide and plan around. I think the answer is pretty obvious. As much as we like Bertuzzi, Larkin, Vron, and Tadelkovic, I don't think they're the centerpiece of a cup winner. So now you have to, with Mo Sider, you have your franchise defenseman. With Lucas Raymond, you have your franchise winger. Kosa looks like he could be a franchise goalie. And they're all around the same age, which is super exciting. I think... I think, and I know this gets hate, and uh, you know it's full. I'm f- I fully welcome it because it's a little bit of a double double standard as to how I talk about Bertuzzi. But I think Larkin factors in there for two reasons: one, they don't have enough centers right now to come up to displace him; okay. two, he's the captain, and that does mean something, especially in Detroit. And three, I'm throwing a bonus one in here: there's the emo- like, not every team is going to be built out built out of young stars. You need a guy who's been there to lead the team. A veteran Larkin has been pretty reasonable on contract so far, and Eisman drives probably the hardest bargain of most, if not all, GMs in the NHL. I think that core that you said in terms of best talent, yes, makes sense, but I still think if the Red Wings are to be competitive for cups within the next reasonable window over the, like, I don't know, five to eight years, Larkin will be there. Yeah. And I'm, I will go further and I will say of that older core air quotations that we're talking about if the red wings want to win the cup in the next 10 years they probably need to keep three of them at least two they can't afford to get rid of that much talent like i said every cup winner has multiple players who are contributing in their 30s whether or not they're as good as they were at 27 28 whatever doesn't matter they're still good players the contract situation is what eisenman has to control very tightly with those guys because again you need to leave money for the younger crew and the acquisitions you're going to bring in to support the younger crew. Because even if you have Cider Raymond, you drop, let's say the Red Wings win the lottery and get Shane Wright. Yeah. If you get rid of all of Larkin, Verona, Bertuzzi, Hronik, that's a lot of holes that you have to fill that are not going to be adequately filled by the fourth, fifth, sixth best prospect in your system. That's just not going to happen. If Albert Johansson turns out to be great in a second pairing defenseman, Okay, but he's not a franchise changer. Like you're still banking on Edvinson Insider and who else is filling out that defense? You still need those bodies. And at least with, you know, Larkin and Veron, et cetera, you know what you have in those guys. And hopefully you get them to come in on keep stay, sorry, on a reasonable contract. So yeah, I, I think Eisman's not stupid. I think he's thinking exactly what we're thinking, and I think he knows. Now it's just a matter of walking that tightrope to get it done your take on the direction of the team the players we listed any hot takes you have like i had is there anything left <coughs> we're, we're taking some heat from evan we took too long to get to him again <laughs> holy shit that was like a university essay where you're just trying to hit the word count Oh, welcome to the Wing Wheel Podcast, where we have our two biggest fans and our one biggest critic all on the same table. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the only thing really <clears throat> that I could possibly add there is the sooner you figure it out, the better. Well, because then instead of having the way I look at it in my mind is you've got like two circles and they're both moving down this X axis that is time and they're this far apart sooner you figure out what the hell this one is the older core and if they're going to be the ones who are going to win the stanley cup or not 
then you can start taking th- that circle apart and putting it closer to the one that's also moving down. Godspeed to those who are audio only, who have yeah. any idea what you Subscribe just said. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. <laughs> Hit the bell. <laughs> oh my God. You see, that's why, that's why we can't you too early, buddy. You're dying. Yeah. So the sooner you, f- you figure it out, the better, so that you can start taking what you've got now in your older core and starting to attach it to come up behind your younger core. You know what I'm trying to say? You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're bringing in a stream of talent in a more iterative and consecutive manner yes. rather than having two distinct ones. And in that, it's a really good way to look at it too because there's kind of a constant flow, not of always like Ciders and Raymonds, but really good players coming up. And I'm not I, talking good players. I'm talking like you need to have like franchise, like 1A kind of guys. Oh, teams go decades without that though. Yeah, they're called the Red Wings. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Red Wings have gone decade without that there was probably one time around the 80s before oh no no i mean in recent memory yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so and to oversimplify what you just put how like and i think you did put it well once you got past the weird circles thing well, uh, that's how i see it in my head yeah. it makes a lot more sense but it probably makes no sense to anybody <laughs> what's a weirder place evans head or steve eisman oh definitely evans well, you don't know what's happening. It's I just, I, he's I, like door number three. Yeah. <laughs> I just imagine Evan's head, like that scene from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with the board, and he's trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carol. Um, the, the sooner they make a decision on those premier pieces, the Bertuzzi, the Verona, the Heronic, one way or another, the better it is. Well, and it's coming up to the point of no return because the two most imp- – sorry, three of – yeah, I would argue out of that group, the three most important pieces, all their contracts expire at the end of next year. No, Verona's got two years after this one. I would argue Nadalkovic is more important than Verona at the current moment in time. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I hadn't even considered Ned. Yeah, so Ned's up, Larkin's up, Bertuzzi's up. I think Ned, I'm. I think Ned will be an easy resign. I don't think he'll he'll be a tough negotiation at all. I I hope you're right. Um, and I think you're right. Um, but yeah, but it's going to be three. And like like I said, you can't overpay all three. If at least one of them has to come in, like we'll call it better than league value. I'm I'm so curious to see the Bertuzzi and the Lorcan contracts because those will be, it's not Stamkos level in Tampa Bay, but we all remember how that one went down in Tampa Bay where like Stamkos was, <laughs> he was taking interviews everywhere, but Detroit seems. Um, that really screwed us over, right? Eh? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We also assume that the Red Wings would have made the right pick in taking Jacob Chikrin, which I have no confidence in. No, but I will not forget that. Ever. No, that one was that one was rough. Um, but yeah, Eisman like he was he was ready to let Stamkos walk, and then Stamkos ended up staying for a cap number that worked so well for Tampa Bay, and here they are two cups later, challenging for a third. So, and that's exactly what Eisman has to do with all these guys. Here's my number. You take it or you don't, because that's the the benefit of this situation and the benefit of building around the young core. You don't have to keep those guys. Obviously, I want Larkin to stay. I want Bertuzzi to stay. I want Veron to stay. I want Ned to stay. I like all of them. And if they all come in on reasonable contracts, fantastic. But if one of them plays real hardball, Eisenman can just let him go or trade him at the deadline as a rental. Yeah. And that, that's that got to be the mindset. And again, like I said, I have full faith in Eisenman to do that. Okay, um, 
why don't we get into overtime now? Again, we're going to have more conversations, not just about the rest of the trade deadline, but the players that the Red Wings brought in, Sunkfist and Wallman, as well as uh, their moves and their the thoughts moving forward over the next episode or so. So uh, trade deadline conversation isn't over, but let's jump into overtime, which is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast to all new patrons. Thank you so much for joining and supporting the show. We can't tell you how much it means to us and for patrons who have been with us. Um, you're the heart and soul of what we do. So, hey, if you're not in the Discord, it's a good missing time. Out. It is a good we time. We had a great time today just losing our shit over trades and just making fun of everyone who just says, I'm re- hearing reports of this and that. <laughs> we had the most fun. So, you know, you got a spare couple bucks laying around. It gets you into the Discord. It's totally worth it because we have a lot of fun. If you ever want to know where Evan really opens up, it's not with me and Brad. It's with the Discord. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's we have a good time. That's Evan's time to shine. Okay. Um, I know people were kind of holding out as the trade deadline flowed through. Uh, so we have a few questions here. Hockey Town Racing Academy for the Blind said, Why was Stevie quiet this trade deadline? Um, and now that that question is obsolete, don't you love seeing Michigan carry the entire Big Ten on their back in the NCAA tournament for the second straight year? I don't know if you're talking about hockey or basketball, but I love the fact that I don't know that. Uh, so first of all, um, we were recording the deadline preview episode for my March Madness or for that night of March Madness when Kentucky lost. And I was just like, it was a massive episode, lots of edits, took me a while to get through. And like, I was winding down for the night and I was like, oh man, Kentucky, what an upset. I looked at my bar- bracket, they were, they were my champion. They're that's the winner. I, that's what I had too. <laughs> oh my God. I had them in my final four. I also, I have a tradition of picking against Michigan every year as a reverse jinx. And so I'm, I'm happy that that has been going. I had Michigan going to, I think, the Elite Eight in my bracket, at the very least, the Sweet 16. So thank you, Michigan. Yeah. Babe Landis-Cog says, who did you want to see traded from any team but didn't get moved? Oh, man, that's a good question. Phil? I wanted to see Phil go for another cup. I'm shocked he didn't, to be honest. Huge contract, and he's having a pretty down year. And he's probably also the guy who's just like, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah, all right. It's like, Phil, we didn't trade you uh, past 3 p.m. He's like, what's 3 p.m.? They're like, the trade deadline. He's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I'm personally upset. I w- oh, sorry. You go ahead. No, I was going to say some bullshit. <laughs> I was, uh, I had, I don't know why, but I, I see watching Anaheim sell everything. I was like, I would love to see someone just go, you know what? YOLO. We're getting John Gibson. That's what I was thinking too. Yes. Because like that. The Leafs. I was thinking like maybe the Leafs are crazy because they've done terror. Like they throw around their first round picks and Nick Robertson hasn't really stuck as well as I thought he would this year. I thought they were just going to go ham and be like, this is it. We see you. We see you, Florida. We're, we're, we're putting our chips in too. Do you think Toronto has some PTSD from picking up a goalie from Anaheim? (laughs) How that worked out? Frederick Anderson. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was eons ago. He was good, though. He was good until he wasn't, and then he was again. Yeah. Great this year. Yeah. <laughs> Weird how that works. Funny how that works. Um, I'm sad they couldn't find a home for Connor McDavid. He has to continue to struggle out there in Edmonton. Yep. You got to feel for the guy. I thought James Reimer would maybe have gotten moved as well to yeah. Toronto. <laughs> 
Um, Stay Fresh Cheese Bag says, how about the, the big brass ones on Helene just straight up asking Eisman about Blash? Hey, I'm honestly, is it the point of the press conference? No. Well, the GM often turn down those questions, sure. But that's a reporter's job is to ask. So genuinely respect. Oh, no. Yeah, she had to. Uh, anybody who's even glanced at Red Wings Twitter in the last three weeks uh, knows where the fan base stands on the coaching right now. So, of course, it's going to be a relevant topic. Um, this one is from a user called parking on the street. They say, um, <laughs> I'm tired now from all the suspense for some underwhelming things. They were good trades for, uh, they were great, good trades for the value though. Um, just waiting for them. Other ones to come through the hopper. Do you think the players that the Red Wings got from the blues will have a positive impact on the team this season? They can't be any worse than the players they're displacing. Not the players they were traded for, but the players that they're probably going to knock out or down the lineup. I struggle to say that they're going to have a massively positive impact. I think there's a potential we could be pleasantly surprised. I mean, anytime you add another Swede, which Eisman insists is a happy coincidence, um, it's going to be a good thing for the Red Wings. And he, Sunkfist is also known as like a great character guy in the room. Like he's really well liked. Um, yeah, like it's hard to lose Nemesnikov and it's hard to lose Nick Letty, especially considering relative to the rest of the defense, he was competent. I don't know. Don't get your hopes too far up, but they could still be decent, at least for Detroit. What the hell are you doing? I'm multitasking because my <laughs> laptop is about to lift off as you can hear the fans start going and uh, it's not great. <laughs> this one's for uh our sdpn friends aj voss says what came first michael bunting's first nhl goal or more cider being drafted oh god <laughs> the answer is michael bunting's first nhl goal which he scored for arizona on december 11th 2018 oh my god so just in case anyone has an opinion on uh i'm i already told you i am Literally and figuratively willing to die on this hill. <laughs> uh, Anchorman style fight, winged wheel podcast. Choose your weapon. Versus we meet Pete at Dagle dawn. Podcast. <laughs> Should, do we get Anaheim involved here just like to have the Zegers crew just to make it a little more chaotic? We may as well. Yeah. I don't know. So I will die on that hill. Who are you going after? Because each Literally of Literally anyone. There's three of them and three of we us. We already know who Brad has to fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brad, Brad and Steve for the most chaotic, loud, shrieky fight of all time. I'll take whoever you don't want. It doesn't matter to me. I don't want to fight either of them. I'm already, I'm already full of rage hall, so it doesn't who, matter. Who's actually, who do we think is tougher between Adam and Jesse? Because Evan's in better shape than me. Jesse's bigger, but Adam's got the dad strength. Adam does have dad strength. You know what? It can be a game time decision. <laughs> also, how, how about this? We'll let them pick. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Seriously. <laughs> Their player played in the NHL six years earlier. They can pick first because they have already done that. Seniority, that's yeah, right. Seniority. Yeah. yeah. You know it's a passionate argument when Evan is bringing it up. On, like, <clears throat> bringing up another pod and their opinion on something related to the Red Wings. Like, this is the most inflamed I've seen your heart. Not actually, we'd bring you to the doctor, but. I'm, I have nothing else to say. I'll, I will see you at dawn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we have time for some Reddit comments. Actually, hold on. The funniest part about that. Evan talking about, uh, the STPN 
simply because the last time Steve came on the episode on Zoom and uh, Evan was actually there, he's like, oh, I thought you were just a joke. <laughs> I'll show you a joke, Steve. <laughs> he, he didn't think you actually existed. He thought it was a running gag. <laughs> Funny thing is, Evan is actually a joke, but he is indeed real. We'll see who's the joke. <laughs> Evan said, "Bring choose whatever weapons, and he's going to come shirtless, just in basketball <laughs> shorts, nothing but his bare fists, and some rage and his allergies. That's, yeah, that'll be the worst part for them. Uh, first Reddit comment is from Calgary Cheek Clapper. Um, says, I love the Letty trade. Not sure about Vlad, though. Maybe he comes back in the summer. To be fair, he's been invisible for several months now. So, I mean, we touched about the actual possibility of him returning. I think the Red Wings would be interested, but... It's just so much has to happen for that to work out. Um, but that last point is what you said, Evan. He has been... What did I say? Well, he has been invisible for the last little while. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say invisible. It's not like Nemestnikov has been playing bad hockey for the Red Wings, but the team overall has sucked, and Nemestnikov hasn't been going... It hurts your value. Well the above the team's bad, and you're good. It can keep you afloat, but if everybody's bad, it's like a stone in water. Uh, this one is from Ando772, who's asking if uh, Oscar can be that solid center behind Larkin that they've been looking for. Eisenman has new projects along with Levy. I think it's fair to be, you know, reasonably excited about the depth, but keep in mind that, like, Sunkvist is going to be likely a fourth-line guy, maybe third, and Wallman is going to be um, probably... I don't want to say bottom pairing because the Red Wings left D depth is poor but have low expectations for these guys and be happy with kind of any output sunfist at this point in his career is very well established who he is as a player and he has 15 points in 41 games this year on a much better team so i'll just leave it at that yeah it's his penalty he has penalty kill prowess like we can't forget that did you love luke glendening let me tell you about swedish luke glendening look I did love Luke Lendenning, and the only thing that you could make that could make Luke Lendenning better is if he was Swedish Luke Lendenning for the Detroit Red Wings. And he's younger. And honestly, Sunquist's upside is better than Glenn Denning's was, but it, you get the point. I am losing my mind. Literally at the end of this episode, it's 7.15 right now, nearly at in the evening, and I just got a notification Elliot Friedman, Anaheim, Las Vegas, or Las Vegas, I hate how he does that. Anaheim, Vegas trade coming down, Dadinoff in a second in 2023 or 2024 for John Moore and Ryan Kessler's contract. Like, the trade is what it is, but trades are still coming through. This guys, is the most this, classic NHL thing of all time. Guys. To, to be fair, it was reported a couple hours ago that Dadinoff was traded to Anaheim, but there was no details on what the trade was, just that he was going there. Max Domi did end up making it um, to Carolina. Yeah. For Hershuk. And there were some picks because Florida acted as a middleman to retain 25% of the salary. Oh my God. I we got, we've got we got a little bit of cap space. Why don't we just be a middleman? <laughs> it's, uh, well, they, they actually asked Eisman about that if there was any more. He's like, they were approached, but probably just didn't see the value there. Teams know, like, Teams know that there's cap space and they think that they can get it for cheap. They're like, you have the cap space. Why not just do it? And at some point you have to He's balance. He's like, yeah, but it's ours. Yeah. You have to balance. Okay. I'm going to do it to get something probably with how they did for the Letty and Nemesnikov trades because they, they retain 50%. And at some point you're like, I'm not going to withhold 
three, four, five million dollars for you for a sixth round pick. Like that's not worth it for us. And we don't want to set that precedent. That's bad for us. And that's bad for the market. Well, the Red Wings maxed out how many guys they could with the, how how much they could retain. So it came down to would you have wanted to be the get the sixth round pick to be the middleman on that trade or get the fourth round pick for Nemesnikov? Mm-hmm. And well, it's two rounds better. So the answer is obvious. Yeah. Lots to talk about. Stay tuned for next episode. It's going to be coming at you Thursday evening. We'll aim to have it out before the Red Wings game that night. Um, but stay tuned. Thank you all so much for tuning in and uh, enjoying the trade deadline with us. More to come. Uh, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast, the FanDuel Sportsbook, as well as our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker. Oh, 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 oh. I am so sorry. I have one more comment to read from Patreon. It is actually from our good friend Arjun Shanker. And this is super informative. Evan, you're going to want to tune into this. Um, Did you know... Sorry, the actual comment reads, uh, oh, no, it's not loading now. Hey, fans of the Winged Wheel podcast. For those who don't know, the team that Brad plays for clinched first place. That team is called the Alora Rocks. They are literally named after rocks because Alora has a quarry. In order to motivate... Close enough. (laughs) In order to motivate the rocks on their playoff push, if you are coming to Winged Wheel podcast meetup, be sure to bring your prettiest, heaviest rocks for Brad to bring home and share with his teammates. See you there. (laughs) Okay, please don't bring rocks to the arena. Yeah, don't. That that, that but, will get you in trouble. But please uh, do have pebbles and stones for Brad to carry in his pockets after the game. I will not carry them. <laughs> the larger, the better. <laughs> do you know how many comments I've gotten or questions I got from people saying, are they actually the Alora rocks? Yes. And I say, yes. So, like, for a quick background, the city, the town, small of Alora their big tourist attraction around here is they actually do have a, a really big, beautiful gorge for people to go tubing, hang it out. It is in. very nice. It is, it is wonderful. And our home arena is literally in right beside it. At the bottom. <laughs> like, it's right beside it. And, like, obviously, this is the main attraction for the whole city. So, yeah, they, they really lean into it. And it, it's beautiful. It's nice. I love taking the family down there. But it does make for a weird hockey team name. <laughs> and it was filmed there. Filmed there. Really? The movie? Yeah. It? The yeah. one that came out not too long ago? Yeah. I didn't yep. know that. Yep. I actually Creepy. didn't know that. Huh. Yep. Well, don't show the kids that movie. Thanking all name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle Karagitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hand has been in a slam jamathong. Taylor Tagel, Matthew M. Rice, B. Diz, Boos Lobsinger, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Helen Keller, Lost Alligator, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin in the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, banging out a quick one with Brad Crisco, <laughs> Ben Barron, Connor Layton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card. Uh, I'm not reading that one. Hello, I... Uh, Something. James Laporte, Jeremiah Dovo, Jeremy Brocker, uh, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S, Max $1 million, Papa Woody, Parking on the Street, 
Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Candyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. We'll be back with you Thursday. You survived the trade deadline. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.